Hi, everyone. Welcome to Connected Learning TV. This is the fourth webinar in our month-long series that's been titled Equity and Learning in the 21st Century Classroom, Explore, Connect, Transform. I think the title gets longer every, every week. Uh, my name is Ontario, and I'll be the host for today. Um, throughout April, we've been talking with editors and contributors to the new NWP MacArthur eBook, Teaching in the Connected Learning Classroom, as well as teachers and researchers who can speak to connected learning in schools and out-of-school spaces. Um, before we dive into our chat, I want to just go over a couple of quick details. Um, for those of you who are on the live stream right now, uh, use the chat there to introduce yourself, connect with each other, and ask questions that we can address here in the Google Hangout. We'll be polling some of those questions throughout the next hour. Um, we're also putting, uh, we're also chatting throughout the month in the Connected Learning Google Plus community and via the hashtag Connected Learning on Twitter. Uh, the links for these should be in the live stream chat as well, so please continue engaging in those spaces. We've got an awesome group here today, and I'd like to give everyone a chance to introduce themselves. Uh, the same way we've been doing this in the past couple of weeks, I'd like to do this by asking people both who you are, what you do, and also using the hashtag where we learn. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and start with my left with uh, Ben Kirshner. Ben, who, who are you? Ben, I think you're muted. My apologies, I actually had thought I unmuted. My name is Ben Kirshner. I'm at uh, the University of Colorado Boulder in the School of Education. I'm speaking to you from Denver, Colorado, where I just got out of a meeting where students in Denver Public Schools were uh, calling for greater accountability from the school district to end the school-to-jail track. Um, and I'm doing research to document their work. And where I learn is, um, right now, often uh, trying to learn how to coach eight-year-old boys on the soccer fields. Thank you. That's awesome, Ben. Thanks. Alan. Sorry. I'm Ellen Mida. I am with the Civic Engagement Research Group at Mills College, and I am also co-principal investigator for the Educating for Democracy in the Digital Age project, which is a civic engagement project aimed at improving digital civic literacies in Oakland public schools. And where I'm learning right now is anywhere outside, wherever possible. Awesome. Thanks, Ellen. Daniel. Now I'm seeing why everybody's making the same mistake. It takes a second for the little box to come up. Um, hi, I'm Danielle Filipiak, and um, I'm currently a PhD student at Teachers College at Columbia University in the English Education Program. And I'm learning a lot from the middle school students right now who I'm working with and their teachers who are taking up a school-wide youth participatory action research project. So learning a lot in that setting. And Nicole. Hi, everybody. I'm Nicole Mira. I'm a researcher at the UCLA Graduate School of Education and I'm also the coordinator of the UCLA Council of Youth Research. Uh, and where I learn, I'm going to be shamelessly promoting uh, an event that's coming up in LA this Saturday. I learn with my youth who do their own youth participatory action research, and they will be presenting to their parents and community members and teacher education students uh, this Saturday at the UCLA Community School. So we learn a lot by hearing youth raise their voices. Thanks, Nicole. And Paul. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul O. I'm with the National Writing Project. I'm based in Berkeley. Excuse me, and uh, I'm a senior program associate there. I, I work with Ellen on the Educating for Democracy in the Digital Age project, among other things. Uh, and lately, where I've been learning is at our uh, NWP-powered educator innovator site. We have a 
whole host of, of really interesting partners, among them the Ada Group. And I'm also learning a lot at home from my seven-month-old son. Awesome. I'm really excited to, to talk with all of you today, so thanks for joining me. Uh, again, the, the title for today's uh, webinar is Citizens in the Making, the Role of Schools in Inspiring Students to Engage in Transformative Civic Learning. And before we dive into some of the specific examples, I'm hoping we can spend a few minutes here just kind of unpacking um, what do we mean by civic learning? Is it that that one uh, 12th grade class that every student takes? And, and even expand on that, what do we mean by transformative civic learning? Um, Nicole, do you want to start us off with, with a brief explanation of what we mean here? Sure. Uh, I think that um, we oftentimes forget nowadays, and, uh, since the Common Core is coming out and there's so much pressure around college and career preparation, that one of the primary purposes of schooling uh, from the time our country was founded was meant to be preparation for citizenship in our democracy. So when we think about civic learning, it's really important to think about what this learning is going to do for us out in the real, quote-unquote, real world. Uh, out in our communities and in uh, American society in general. Um, but in terms of transformative civic learning versus just civic learning, I think the idea is that uh, civic learning can very easily be reduced to uh, simply learning knowledge in terms of the three branches of government, uh, how the government works, uh, but that doesn't necessarily meet students where they are or uh, it's not necessarily relevant to their own experiences. So when we think about transformative civic learning, I think that you know, knowing all of us on the panel, we're all trying to get students to use what they uh, learn about our society and about their own experiences to then transform what they see in order to always make a more just kind of society. And just to um, sort of extend and agree with what Nicole is saying, uh, in Oakland what we've really pushed for is Oakland has a, a priority on college and career ready and what we've been able to do is get them to adopt language around college, career, and community ready, recognizing that we're learning for purposes of improving our communities. And one of the challenges we face frequently is what counts as civic engagement or what is civic education. And I take a really broad definition where it's really about defining and addressing issues that we as a public share. So um, elevating what counts as an issue and students asserting their right to bring their voices to the table is a critical component for me. Thanks, Ellen. Um, and I think both you and Nicole are kind of getting to the next question I want to jump into for our conversation here, and that's um, why do you think it's so important to prepare students for citizenship uh, in addition to what we traditionally see of college and careers in schools? Um, and in addition to why is it important, um, how, like the, the pragmatic part of that, how do you prepare students for citizenship? So, Ben, I'm wondering if you can start us off with, with uh, this answer or with an answer. Yes, I'd be happy to, uh, and I'll... I'll, I'll try to at least, yeah, just start us off. That's a big one. <clears throat> I think about the first part of the question in two ways. Um, one is from the standpoint, and, and I, I, I sometimes resist lofty statements, but I think I have to engage in one, which is just that, uh, you know, the health of a functioning democracy and one that's addressing deep-seated problems uh, calls for opportunities where young people are learning those um, skills and practices of, of a healthy democracy, uh, you know, at an early age. So I think it's partly so important uh, that we prepare students for citizenship because we need it as a as a society. Um, and I'd be happy to talk a little bit more about that. I also think, from a educational standpoint, that when transformative civics is done well, uh, it's a it's really a strategy for engaging young people in traditional kinds of academic learning and even um, kind of technical training. So. 
I see it both as an end goal from the standpoint of a, a value of living in a democracy that needs to be nourished and cultivated, but I also see it um, when we have meaningful and engaging opportunities to for students to speak up about their communities and do participatory action research or uh, have a voice in issues such as what I alluded to before with the ending the school to jail track, we get young people more engaged in traditional academic skills like analyzing statistics, um, writing persuasive speeches, um, learning how to communicate with decision makers and improvise on their feet. Thanks. I'll, I'll, I'm happy to pass the baton. Yeah, and I'll just I'll just jump in and, and say um, that was uh, really well articulated and I, I would only add that uh, from my perspective, the the notion that um, college and career readiness are are discrete discrete tracks, and uh, the notion that um, citizenship is somehow um, you know this discrete set of skills that is somehow removed from uh, what it means to be college or career ready, I think is it's really um, a mistake, and uh, and is actually a, a false dichotomy, and and. Um, I think the the notion that we would be able to prepare our youth to be um, active and engaged citizens in whatever whatever context they find themselves is uh, is I think um, really what we're trying to get at um, in this conversation and in schools. And in terms of uh, the this second um, piece to this, how do you do that? Uh, I think you know Ellen and I at least will get a chance to talk about what's happening in the Oakland schools as part of this educating for democracy in the digital age project. I think you know, it's a very complex. Um, you know, uh, response um, or set of responses to this notion of how do you do that, um, and so you know, Ellen and I can definitely talk more about that. But I think, I think uh, the notion of um, trying to create uh, large-scale change involves you know many actors at many different levels in, say, a place like the school district. So um, when I think about preparing students for citizenship, I think about kind of what it requires as it relates to positioning. And I think that when you're preparing students um, with citizenship in mind, you're preparing them to ask questions as opposed to just only focusing on answers. Um, and you're, you're preparing them to embrace challenges and questions as opposed to just answers. And assuming that the answers will come from them out, out of those challenges and questions, right? As opposed to just you know the banking model where the teacher stands in front of the classroom. Um, and hands them the answers. You are positioning young people to kind of look around them and see what's going on and, and decide, you know, what's problematic and what they might like to do about it. Um, and, and my second answer to that question I'd like to, because I always like to focus, um, like everyone on this panel, um, being the visionaries that they are, um, I, I also think it's important to focus kind of on student voice. And uh, I wanted to, to share with you um, this student quote that I, um, there we go, I'm starting the screen share because I really want you to see it. It's backwards right now. Um, so I, I asked this young person who did this youth participatory action research project, um, three years later he's now in college you know, what do you, what did you learn from our class? What did you learn through engaging, you know, civically in, inside of your community and looking at, um, he took up, he looked at why young males in Detroit um, experienced depression. That was his question. And so I asked him a, a couple months ago, now in his third year in college, what did you learn? And he said, uh, life came down on me hard, Miss Flip. See, when you got your basic needs met and you don't have to worry about anything, you can chill out and just focus on yourself. 
And he said that was a, that's a luxury for many people. And then you focus on something you care about because that's what keeps life exciting. Um, I can't help nobody until I can help myself. I have to be the best me possible so that when people come around me, that's all I can give is love. That's where they need to teach students to do something they love. Getting myself together will improve the world. Uh, because, well, how can you change the world when you're in a dark place? And I needed permission to love myself first. And that's what I remember from our class. That's what I realized. And so for me, also, preparing young people um, to think civically is also engaging them in this love walk, um, both individually and collectively. And so I think that's really important. Um, so in the Educating for the Dem Democracy in the Digital Age project, when we think about um, preparing young people to be civically engaged is we really think about it as not a one-time thing, so it's something that has to be woven throughout the school day and a way of connecting the sort of authentic interests and, and concerns that young people have into the classroom. So it's thinking rather than do we do a complete project that goes from uh, defining an issue to addressing it, reflecting on it, it's also, are there chances throughout the curriculum to think about how is what I'm learning helping me understand issues in my community? How am I learning skills that will allow me to express myself publicly to contribute to those definitions? Am I able to reflect on in the classroom things that I've done in my community? Am I getting opportunities to address issues in the community? So we try and take a whole school sort of comprehensive approach. And right now, we have a group of teachers who are weaving these opportunities into their curriculum, but the other critical component is site-based plans that are happening at the school level where they think from ninth through 12th grade about how do we build across the curriculum so that by senior year, students aren't learning just for the first time to think about these things, that they've been doing it throughout their four years of high school. So by senior year, they've had a lot of opportunities and it's a powerful learning experience. They're not just learning are getting their opportunities for the first time in 12th grade. This is particularly critical for us because in Oakland there's a 40% dropout rate, so if you're really going to be equitable and reach all students, you need to think beyond 12th grade government. Yeah, and I'll just add that uh, you know my my work in particular is is related to uh, the digital um, the digital platforms and and the kinds of uh, digital opportunities that youth have to engage civically, um, and I think a huge part of that uh, and a huge part of this process of connecting um, academic content um, to digital tools uh, really focuses on um, well a couple of things. Um, I think one thing that uh, is true about the the story that Ellen just told about our project is that. The project has also happened over the course of um, a couple of years now. Um, we're coming to the end of year two, and so I think this notion of, of uh, time is, is really critical in terms of building the capacity of um, both youth and teachers in, in doing this kind of work that Ellen described. Um, but I would say also that uh, time is really important from this um, digital side, particularly in, under -resourced, um, in, in an under-resourced school system uh, like Oakland. Um, the the idea that um, teachers would have um, opportunities actually to really understand you know what are the affordances of some of these digital tools that would then allow um, their youth um, to engage civically um, I think is really critical and and we've seen actually that um, time has allowed for this um, kind of exploratory look at a whole bunch of tools um, used for purposes that I think you know you could well imagine um, from 
this great blogging platform uh, that is a national space called Youth Voices, youthvoices.net, um, to using, um, say, a tool like Instagram, you know, to give youth a chance to spread the word about um, the activism that they're engaged in. Um, uh, but but the thing is, you know, for many of these teachers, these are tools that they have not used at all, um, you know, for any part of their work. And so so the notion that they then would be able to work with their um, youth in leveraging these tools um, is something that, you know, we've had to address. And I think uh, the way we've done that is, is really giving um, teachers an opportunity to experiment, try, figure out, you know, what tools make sense for the purposes that they have in mind with regard to student action. Um, and then and civic engagement, um, and then and then give them opportunities to iterate. Um, so over the course of the two years, you know, we're seeing teachers um, really begin to flourish in you know in in these kinds of um, in these kinds of ways with these kinds of tools. I think what's really powerful, building off of what uh, Paul and Ellen and Danielle and Ben are all talking about, is a real interconnectedness here between students personal identity and empowerment and academic learning and civic life. So like we're saying, none of these are, are separate. And if you look at a lot of the academic standards, uh, like the Common Core Literacy Standards, for example, uh, preparing students for democracy is actually a, a part of literacy standards. And all teachers across subject areas are responsible for not only providing students with literacy instruction, but also preparing them to go out into the world and succeed in all of these different arenas of public life. So I think that's really powerful that all of our projects are working to do that kind of simultaneously. And I'm sure we'll get into some of the challenges and, and strengths of doing that in school spaces and out of school spaces. Um, but just to give a little bit of context for those who are watching who might not know about one of the ways that we've talked about doing that is through this thing called Youth Participatory Action Research. Uh, and really what that means is if you take each word separately, the idea is that it's getting youth involved in doing the traditionally adult-defined activity of doing research. Uh, and it's something about taking action in the community. So it really goes back to this idea of research for the purpose of transforming lives and communities, not simply for um, other academics to read. And the idea is that it's supposed to be participatory in terms of having an entire community, young people, uh, adults, researchers, community members, educators, all involved in this collective process of building knowledge in order to make schools and communities more equitable places. Uh, so the, the core of what we do at UCLA is that we bring young people together who are interested in coming up with their own research questions about issues in their communities or in their schools that, that trouble them or that they want to do something about. And our job as adult researchers is to help give them the information, the theory, and the data collection tools to help them go out and actually complete their own research projects. Uh, and like Danielle was saying, it really helps to meet students' needs personally to help them to have their voices heard so that they feel uh, like their voice matters in their community and that they can make a difference. Uh, it also helps them to build those academic literacy skills and to start making changes in their schools and communities to make them more responsive. So it's really helping young people to see that uh, decisions aren't just made top-down by people who are not like them or that don't understand their concerns, but that we can speak back from the bottom up um, and help young people to make those changes. Um, and as we go forward, we'll talk more about ways to do that in schools with standards and also ways to do that in out-of-school spaces. 
Thanks, Nicole. So I think I think we're in a place where we've heard some examples of, of things that, that have been happening. We've also gotten a def, uh, an explanation of why we need to be really thinking about civic education, civic learning, and, and these more authentic spaces. Um, but now I want us to, to think a little bit about how do we go through finding authentic opportunities for students to become civically engaged? Like, what is that process of identifying those spaces, um, building relationships, um, both with our students and with the community around them. And, and, and thinking about this, um, I'm reminded of uh, Marcel Haddix came out here recently to speak to some of our students and, and really challenge this idea of helping a community, right? What, what does community mean and, and what are the kinds of assumptions it means to assume that a community needs our help as potentially outsiders, right, depending on the context that, that we're in. Um, and so thinking about this relationship of identifying needs and identifying um, ways to collaborate with, I'm wondering, Ben, if, if you could start us off here. Yeah, uh, I'll start us off, <clears throat> and and I will I will um, address this issue of what is an authentic kind of way of engaging young people and becoming civically engaged by saying that in um, several of the projects that I've been a part of, um, the really the the object of the work has been the school itself. So I, that that will partly avoid your question, Terrell, because um, the community has been defined in many ways. Um, in terms of the school community. And I actually think that's a fine place to start in many cases. I just want to give one example. Um, and this is building a little bit off of um, you know, Nicole's definition of participatory action research. But think, consider a school, and this is a real, a real school, um, in, in kind of uh, uh, exurb of Colorado, meaning kind of edges of, edges of suburbs in Colorado where there's been a lot of hostility and racism between you know, white students who have traditionally been a majority in a school and Latino students who have have been more recent uh, newcomers to the school and just recently became the majority of the school. Uh, so um, we, we, my research team and some work we were doing with teachers were at the school for two years, but um, it wasn't until really digging into conversations with students and teachers that this issue really came up. So it was a very kind of taboo, um, under the table subject. So the question would be, if this is uh, something that's really uh, defining but also dividing a school community, what would it mean for students to learn how to kind of take action about this issue that's highly salient for their experiences in a school, their experiences of either belonging or marginalization in a school? Um, so I'd like to kind of add um, two pieces to what Nicole was saying about participatory action research because we learned over time that in order to set up students to really dig into something that was affecting them personally, um, that there had to be some other practices that were accompanying participatory action research that are typically implicit but not always stated explicitly. So one of, one of them is making explicit um, invitations for students to talk about their experiences in their everyday lives, including subjects that sometimes they're afraid might offend others, such as racism would be one, that we were finding that it wasn't Students weren't bringing it up unless explicitly invited to kind of talk about relationships between people of different uh, groups. But then once we did, it was like a um, it was like a waterfall or something of people having stories to tell. Um, and then secondly, and this again, I think is implicit in what Nicole was saying. Um, it is a certain way that teachers think about their relationships with the students. In other words, if we're thinking of students as being capable of generating questions and generating knowledge and having information that policymakers might not have, it requires uh, a shift, a kind of a shift in relationships where it's a more dialogic kind of relationship. And, I, and, and so we've talked a lot with 
um, the people we work with at the school and with teachers about what it means to engage in a student-teacher partnership and thinking about your classroom in a partnership way. So those are, those are kind of two examples that we found have been useful. And then the participatory action research piece where students are engaging in inquiry, linking it to standards, um, you know, developing those kinds of skills kind of just sits really neatly with, with those practices. And in this case of the, um, of the you know, racial hostility at this school, it had been really exploding um, around Cinco de Mayo in particular. So students did a really impressive research project documenting what people understood about Cinco de Mayo, what it meant to different groups at the school, and dividing it by different gender and ethnicity and race, and use that as a tool to have some conversations as a student body about um, intergroup relations. So, um, yeah, I, I think I'll stop there, but I, I, I did want to... I, I did want to say that um, in many cases, learning how to be civically engaged can take place and, and ought to take place in a school context when we define community that way. And I, I think we'll get to some barriers later. Um, so there are some challenges to that, but but I wanted to get us started with that. Uh, I'd love to ask a question of the group that sparked for me while Ben was talking. So Ben was talking about these sort of powerful projects, and one of the things that came out to me was students having opportunities to be invited to share their experiences. I'm curious how the group, so the models that I'm familiar with are YPAR, which we've talked about, and then there are other models that are more civic classroom based, which are more traditional, learning about the structure and function of government, and then there's a lot of in-between where we're encouraging controversial discussions in the classroom or research papers or investigations of civic issues. And so I'm curious how people are thinking about the unit of when you're working with, so I assume, Ben, you're working with teachers who have opted in to the program. Is that true or no? Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah, so what we're dealing with, and we're do the same thing with educating for democracy in the digital age, but what we're, what we're sort of thinking about is how do you begin to integrate these opportunities in the classroom in ways that are sort of, when is it enough, and how do you move towards richer, more authentic civic learning experiences? So sometimes that looks like smaller steps around having more classroom discussion. So that's something I've been puzzling through as I hear about sort of the two models, and I'm just curious how people are thinking about it. I think one challenge, thinking about that, Ellen, um, it, so in the context of it now in terms of preparing pre-service teachers, is they tend to think about replicating the kinds of teaching practices they've seen before. Mm -hmm. um, primarily English teachers are, are who I work with, and so I, I think there's a challenge in them thinking about transformative civic learning in English classrooms if they haven't had those types of transformative experiences as students in the past, right? And so in some ways for us to think about like a, a large, you know, sustainable unit of change, for, for me at least, it, it's about reshifting the priorities in, in teacher education, right, in terms of making civic learning as important as the Common Core standards, as the money invested in Common Core and, and Park, um, and, or Smarter Balance if you're on the West Coast, right, um, but, but all of these other, these, these testing companies that are essentially getting the interest of teachers and how we prepare and assess our students. Um, and so for me, this seems like a real challenge for us in that there's pockets of excellence, right, um, and, and to push against uh, best practices as we do in the uh, classroom learning book. Um, I, th I think this is a space for us to really theoretically embed civic learning in teacher education. Nicole, you had other thoughts on this too, though. Yeah, and I have noticed that uh, it does take time for the teaching profession to change, and uh, obviously with such a huge uh, sense of pressure from the Common Core, a lot of teachers don't feel like they have the space to include this kind of civic learning with their standards-based instruction. 
Um, but the interesting thing is, I think, number one, like, like what Ellen was starting to bring up and what Ontario said, that there needs to be teacher professional learning communities first so that teachers can get a better sense of what's out there and what's available to them, and also for them to be civically engaged. Because I think for a lot of teachers, teaching itself is so overwhelming that there's not a lot of time to think about all the other ways that they are civically engaged or can work collectively with other teachers. Uh, so I think that's one thing that's important. And when we get deeper into the connected learning aspect of this, I think that digital tools can be a powerful way for teachers to create that sense of community and start building around civic issues. And then I think there are ways that teachers can take baby steps to start integrating this into their practice. Um, I know that Paul um, up in San Francisco works a lot with KQED, which has an amazing program called Do Now, uh, which gets young people every week to do uh, Twitter or to do uh, short bursts of engagement online with different controversial social issues every week. Uh, and considering that we do now have a charge to uh, focus on the common core literacy idea of creating an argument and uh, harnessing evidence to support that argument, I think that that's a perfect segue for teachers to say, if, if we need to work on what it means to really construct a powerful claim and to find evidence to support that, we can very easily uh, use that in terms of issues that are going on around us every day in our real lives. We don't always have to turn to uh, informational texts or, or fictional texts that aren't relevant to issues of the day. Uh, almost all amazing texts that are used in English classes have embedded in them relationship to uh, social issues, and so that connection can be made really easily. But I really do think it comes back to uh, professional learning and a chance to experiment and try out these practices, uh, and that's why I think that a lot of these um, places like National Writing Project's Digital Is website are perfect places where teachers can get some resources to help them start that, you know, those baby steps. And I, I just wanted to, uh, if I could just jump in really quickly and say, um, with regard to Do Now and, and this uh, collaboration that we in the National Writing Project um, have with KQED, um, just very quickly, I'll say that uh, one thing that is interesting about the Do Now work um, is that uh, Do Now does not shy away from um, controversial questions um, in, in this uh, effort to get youth to engage in conversation, and I would describe it as academic conversation, academic discussion. Um, around uh, issues in the news. Um, so recently uh, there was a topic that was about abortion. Um, uh, uh, the, uh, immigration reform has come up. Um, so, so essentially any, any topic that you can imagine in the news um, uh, you know, has been um, uh, looked at and, and, and discussed you know, via Twitter at DoNow. And so I think it's a, an interesting example, as, uh, as Nicole said, of a way in which um, teachers can engage um, students in you know, a relatively low barrier kind of way about um, about these controversial kinds of issues. All right, is it safe now? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so um, I was just going to say that I think that it's really important for, especially pre-service teachers, um, to just have a different set of experiences. Um, and I, I do think that teacher preparation programs need to begin preparing teachers in, in a different way. And I think that one of the major things that stand out in my work with pre-service here, uh, teachers here at Teachers College, is that um, I think there's definitely a willingness to try a new thing. It's just a matter of really thinking about the structures that are necessary and the pedagogical moves that are necessary. And so I think that um, really positioning student teachers and teachers to consider themselves as designers of experiences is really, really important. And I think that what that means for me 
is is thinking about positioning young people as producers, not just consumers of knowledge, right? Allowing them space to be collaborative, generating experiences where we're working in relationship with one another. And that takes time, right? And oftentimes we do, I, and I always mention this is, is this word is fluff. That's just fluff. I don't have time. I have to cover all of the, all of this material. But this becomes this really should be what we're doing inside of classrooms, right? And so I think that we have to provide teachers and and pre-service teachers experiences so they can really understand what that means inside of a space. What does that mean to value young people who have multiple literacies, you know, as producers? And so I know um, to speak to a few of the questions that we've been kind of navigating. I'm going to do another screen share. Don't kill me here. Um, but, you know, I was really thinking about this uh, in my work in Detroit. Um, what does this look like across a year? And so after, you know, eight, nine years of teaching, thinking about how do you, how do you really navigate questions that matter to students in an authentic way? And how do you generate a curriculum that prepares them to do that? really intense work at the end of the year and sometimes circumstances that can be really challenging. So for me it was about beginning with kind of small projects that allowed students to kind of speak about what was going on with them personally and you know in their neighborhoods and so for instance you can see right here in the beginning um, I assigned students just as a, as a prompt you know for a homework prompt. Bring in a picture you can you know snap it with your phone tell me what your neighborhood tells you you know and they brought in lots of pictures and then we did you know these self-portrait projects where students you know captured themselves you know how they saw themselves inside of a question like what's the relationship between language and power and how does that impact my life or in this case you can see um, what role does education play in the health of a community and you can see them kind of posing and these are some of the pictures that they that they came up with, right? And so they, we, by the time we got to the point where we engaged in this larger youth participatory action research project where they're collecting data on a history of a problem that they see and potential solutions and statistics and relevant legislation, they were already being asked about what was going on in their neighborhoods. They were already being engaged in questions um, that were really deep. and. For us, by the end of the year, young people were really able to to speak about these questions in really authentic ways, and I wasn't I wasn't giving them these questions. So, um, I think one of the best things that we can do as teachers um, to prepare students for this work um, is is to ask better questions, and I think that that's a really powerful entry point into this work. So we know, like, essential questions, that idea is, is spit out often, um, frequently, and that becomes an access point where we begin to kind of reimagine what it is we're, we're asking um, young people what they think. So when you ask somebody, what's the relationship between language and power, and how does that impact my life, that's a really deep question. And if you ask that across a year, you'll find that there's a growth in understanding and then more questions. So you can kind of see here... Um, by the time we got to the end of the year, this was a group of 11th grade students. You can kind of see these subcategories here, language and power, education and health. You know, they started to really think about, you know, what their questions were inside of these questions. So what are the effects of literacy stereotyping on youth? 
What, uh, why do youth participate in social media forums in negative ways? How does school set students up for failure and entry into the prison system? By the time we got to um, the end of the year, they realized that they had some really authentic questions that they wanted to ask. And I think that that's, I think that's really important work. And I think that um, now that we have new media tools, I know I've been talking a while, so I, won't, I was going to show you this little video that students made. But by the time they get to the end of the year, they not only are prepared to kind of begin answering some of those questions and delving into them, but they also have something to say. And we, and we have so many tools that allow them to express how they feel and to speak back to you know, these negative messages that they're constantly receiving inside of school. Um, and I think that, that, that if we can take teachers through that, that process and that experience, um, I think that they, I think it's like a no-brainer, <laughs> you know. Um, I think that you, you, um, you begin to see young people differently. And I'll say, um, just at the end of this, like I'm doing this work with the middle school, um, this Youth Participatory Action Research Project now, and um, the reason why this administrator is taking up this work is because he said that on a, on a, on a survey, a school-wide survey, that students didn't feel, many students didn't feel respected by staff. And, and the idea was that if they could take up Youth Participatory Action Research in an authentic way, that the staff would shift the way they saw students because maybe then they would see them from this an asset perspective rather than a deficit one and gain new respect for students. And I think that I think that's important um, and that it speaks to the, the necessity of developing positive and healthy and generative relationships between students and teachers. And I think that that's also an, uh, a reason why we do this work. It's not just to transform communities and transform ourselves, but to transform the relationships that we have with each other inside of schools. And so, I'm done. <laughs> Thanks, Danielle. I, I do want to point out, uh, for those watching, that the chart that Danielle's uh, sharing um, and descriptions of how she's used this in her classroom are available um, in the ebook, the Connected in Teaching in the Connected Learning Classroom. Um, and the links for that um, are everywhere, particularly in the live stream, so you should grab it there. And it's free, so you don't have an excuse uh, not to look at it. Um, we have, we have a question from our uh, live stream chat, and so I want to address that. Um, and the question was basically, how can we enhance civic learning through professional development? What's the role professional development can play? Um, and Ben, I want to come to you in particular because of the ways you were talking about how teachers um, can invite uh, student discussions of things like racism um, into the classroom and, and how we value different forms of knowledge than what might traditionally be valued in classrooms. Um, so do you want to start us off with this discu discussion of PD? Great, yeah. Um, yeah, the, the work that I've been doing um, in collaboration with teachers in uh, kind of the Denver metro area of Colorado started using, you know, the very familiar model that uh, is kind of a big container, but the professional learning community model. So it was not with pre-service teachers. It was with, uh, you know, teachers with a range of experiences. And um, and it was okay. It worked pretty well, but we it was kind of a small group, and we felt that we wanted, essentially, we wanted more accountability to each other as a group, and we also felt like there was, uh, we wanted a context in which we could read together um, and, and kind of be learning from other communities, so, and, and other scholars and other teachers, and we felt like as a professional learning community, it was, it was never, not getting prioritized enough by any of us, so we actually created a course um, at UC Denver, and I'm not suggesting everyone should do this for professional development, but we created a course, and um, some people signed up, some teachers signed up for it, 
just for continuing education credit. Some signed up as part of a master's program. They were all full, you know, uh, sorry, full-time in-service teachers, um, and it had a hybrid quality. So it was an online course with monthly face-to-face -face meetings, uh, and we were able there to do some of the things that we hadn't been able to do in a professional learning community: uh, read and discuss articles as a group, um, or that we hadn't been able to sustain in a PLC. Uh, engage in a lot of autobiographical reflection. Um, and really, you know, create a, a, a new learning community, but it was just one where I think everyone, we had greater participation, and we found it to be a really supportive place for teachers to learn. And that, so that was, that's proved to be a good structure. We're now in our third year of that model, and we always do try to have a mix of full-time teachers who are getting a master's degree and full-time teachers who, who are just seeking continuing education, although it tends to be more folks who are getting a master's degree. I, I also just want to mention a couple of the practices that I have found have come up quite a lot as we've engaged in that professional development um, because as a few of you have pointed out, um, you know, many of the pieces of this work that are challenging for learners or for students are challenging for all of us. We don't have a well-functioning democracy as it is. Um, many times authentic civic engagement is actually not very transformative at all, but it's just maybe voting or, you know, reading the newspaper. So when we talk about transformative opportunities, um, it's, it's challenging for all of us, and teachers often don't have power in their schools, too. Uh, just so, so, for example, we've spent a lot of time with each other talking about, yeah, how do you invite that controversial subject? How do you pursue and design an open-ended problem um, with your students who are also unaccustomed to working on open-ended problems? And one um, theme that has come up each year that I wanted to mention here is that I have found that um, many times our partner teachers are concerned that they will kind of elevate the expectations of students around a transformative civic opportunity and that those expectations will then be crushed when the principal or the school district or the whoever the decision maker is kind of doesn't pay attention or they don't succeed with their project. And that's been something that we've had to help each other with around um, not feeling like we need to protect students from that. Uh, I think that's an assumption that sometimes uh, we've ma we make that if, if, the, if the project isn't successful, somehow it will have a negative outcome. And what I found uh, over the years is that, generally speaking, when young people or when people have the opportunity to be heard and speak, um, that tends to be seen as a success, even if we don't always see kind of dramatic structural changes as a consequence of being heard. So that, but that's one of the things we spend a lot of time talking about in PD is kind of, you know, not, not wanting to dash the hopes of students, but but also not using that as an excuse to sort of back off or avoid risk. Um, so in our project, what, I mean, it echoes a lot of what Ben's talking about, but I guess I want to share a little bit about how we're thinking about change. And we've really t approached it at a two-pronged level. So one prong is really working with the teachers through professional development, but simultaneously building support at the district level so that teachers aren't just operating in a sort of individuals advocating for their own classrooms, but at the same time we're feeding their successes back to the district and getting district buy-in to these goals, and that's been very important. Um, at the teacher level, some of the things we've been doing is really starting with constructing a shared vision for civic engagement, so built, having them be part of the process of defining the goals of civic engagement which has been really important for that sort of buy-in and persistence um, and creating supportive learning communities where they're coming together and struggling together 
And I think just as for students who do a big project and are potentially crushed when it doesn't work out, I think teachers can experience the same thing where they have a vision of a grand project and then they aren't able to finish all of it. So a key thing has really been celebrating, like thinking about this as a process and celebrating and reflecting on small shifts in practices and successes and thinking longer term. So the multi-year aspect in the learning community where they can really share and appreciate each other's successes has been really important. And the idea that they're revising and doing this year after year. And then I think, um, I guess the other thing I wanted to emphasize was just giving the teachers space and time to sort of play around and get feedback. Yeah, I definitely agree with what Ellen's saying about um, the, the chance for teachers to come together and really uh, take some of the ideas that we're hearing and some of the projects that are going on and then relate it to their particular context because I don't think any of us would argue that we have a model that needs to just be uh, kind of brought to scale and done in every school or every classroom. Uh, it really has to be unique to whatever your students' experiences are and your particular strengths as a teacher. Uh, I do think that in terms of PD, uh, a lot of teachers across subject areas are familiar with the idea of backwards design when they're planning their units in terms of starting with a large essential question or some enduring understandings and then uh, kind of getting more and more specific as it goes on toward your daily objectives. And I feel like it doesn't take that much tweaking and when I do workshops for teachers, I talk about uh, the essential question is obviously a great place since it is meant to be a lifelong learning kind of question, a big controversial debatable question. That's a great place to bring in uh, kind of how your subject area relates to real world issues because all subject areas have implications in the real world. Uh, so that's a great place to think about kind of putting in some, uh, some authentic civic learning. And then when it comes to assessment, I always push teachers, if you could just think of one way in each unit that one of your assessments could be something authentic where students take what they've learned and create a literacy product or create a presentation or create something that actually will go out into the public uh, about a particular issue. That's a great small step to take uh, for teachers in order to start putting content area knowledge into conversation with others out in the public sphere. Uh, so just, you know, any, and, and obviously online is a great way to do that. Uh, using Twitter, I mean, I know that the YPP project that Joe Kahn and Ellen are working on talks a lot about the fact that young people are using social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, in order to express political perspectives uh, and to call for boycotts if they're not, if they don't like the uh, the um, ideas of certain organizations or corporations. So I think there's many ways that we can uh, take advantage of uh, digital media in order to kind of express views like that and get students talking about uh, controversial issues. Um, and then the other way I wanted to mention really quickly that our students have done with the Council of Youth Research is that you can actually have students do professional development for teachers. Uh, I think it's really powerful when teachers can hear from students in their own school who've had a particularly powerful experience uh, and they can share what it means to them and the ways that they've been able to create products that are meaningful and that really gets teachers kind of jazzed about trying something themselves when they see that it really does increase engagement and increase motivation uh, and help students feel uh, their voices are more powerful. So just looking at the time, I want to get to the barriers question that Ben hinted at earlier. Um, and so I'm just going to ask it, and then I think I'll go to you, Paul, to start us off, um, of what are the challenges of implementing civic learning projects? Um, and so what, what maybe, maybe you can speak specifically around the experiences you've been working with in terms of this whole context of some of the challenges you, you faced. Um, sure. And in doing so, maybe even some of the ways you've fixed these as a, as a visionary. 
<laughs> Great. Uh, yeah, I would say um, some of the challenges have been uh, simply even understanding, you know, what we mean by civic learning um, and what we mean by civic engagement. So, so essentially being able to identify, um, you know, with the teachers, um, as Ellen talked about, this notion of what we mean by these terms. Um, how I think as well um, we are able to um, transcend the boundaries of a typical high school school day uh, in which we have um, delineated subject areas. Uh, and so, for instance, for content to teachers, um, how, how do they understand um, ways in which they can uh, create transformative um, kinds of civic engagement opportunities um, when they have particular curricula um, or uh, they have, you know, particular obligations in terms of, like, what they need to meet um, with regard to um, curricular objectives. Uh, I think, as well, um, when we think about the digital media pieces, um, and the notion of, of employing some of these tools. As I, I think I alluded to earlier, um, this idea of, of being able to, uh, for themselves even, understand, you know, what are the affordances of these tools and how uh, they might be leveraged, um, you know, personally, even, you know, before they begin to understand how those tools um, could be leveraged, you know, for youth learning. Uh, I think those are some of the issues. And then I think as well, Nicole touched upon this idea of, of um, uh, the, you know, standardization involved in, you know, curriculum, the, the imperatives that teachers face with regard to Common Core and uh, the kinds of testing that's um, coming down the road in relation to Common Core, um, uh, as well as uh, any kinds of district initiatives that teachers have to um, uh, be accountable for. So I think, I think a lot of the barriers, um, you know, generate from the system within which um, teachers uh, need to operate and, and that they're constantly navigating. Um, but then I think, you know, there are these, um, you know, very personal kinds of learning um, issues in terms of, you know, how we understand uh, civic education, how we understand civic engagement, and then how we understand, um, you know, new literacy tools and platforms uh, in the ways in which they can be leveraged um, for this kind of learning. I think those are just some of them. Um, and just to piggyback on Paul, one of the, in our project, I would say, and one of the barriers that I think is just challenging for all civic action and engagement projects is schools are physically often segmented away from the rest of the community, both just in terms of security around the schools and time, um, the schedule of the day and that kind of thing. One solution is working with inside of the school. Um, another, though, that we see our teachers doing is this is where digital media has actually turned out to be quite helpful in that they're using social networks and Twitter and different things as ways to extend outside of the school walls and engage with authentic audiences um, other than just those inside their classroom. So they're uh, engaging with students in New York through Youth Voices. They're engaging with each other across schools. And so I feel like digital media can be really helpful in breaking down some of the segmentation of schools. Thanks, Ellen. Um, I'm looking at the time, and as always, I feel like we have a lot more places we can go to, and uh, we're not going to be able to. So what I want to do is at least get some final wrap-up big idea thoughts from everybody. Final wrap-up big idea thoughts, sure. That's, that's what we're going to go with. Um, in terms of what does civic learning mean, and how are we going to, if, if if you're speaking to an educator or a researcher today, what's one piece of advice that um, you could give them? And so, Ben, I'm going to start with you and then uh, just go uh, left to right. Great. <clears throat> Thanks, Antero. Yeah, this has been a, 
really, I've really appreciated this conversation and hearing about some of these examples. Um, I'm going to say that while while we certainly recognize some of these barriers um, in schools, I'm I'm just very excited by many of the innovations and uh, ways that people are playing around the maybe around the margins of of, of constraining structures, but still doing really uh, you know impressive work. And particularly, I want to highlight one aspect of authentic learning, which we haven't fully defined, but which is this idea of having an expanded audience. So. If, if you know, we're trying to think about what does it mean to really create an authentic opportunity, one uh, theme that I've heard a lot is finding ways to have a public audience or some kind of audience that's outside of the bounded classroom. And I think digital tools are really good for that, for connecting through with peer audiences um, or with you know, adult audiences. I'd like to put in a plug for a book that Ellen Middaugh and I are editing that have some great examples of that, including some work uh, by Justin Reich and Facing History in Ourselves. So the book's called Becoming Political in the Digital Age, and that'll be coming out in about six months, but it has several case studies of school-based projects that are trying to do this mix of digital tools and uh, civic learning and academic standards. So I'm going to try to end with a note of optimism on that, on that one. Thanks, Ben. Ellen, yes, you want to jump Next in person can um, so main ta big takeaways is just that I think uh, what we found in our project and I think also some of the inspiring work in the, ben, in the book that Ben just mentioned is that uh, the teachers we've been working with are really dedicated and interested in exploring their practice and when given opportunities to do so are actually creating some amazing innovations. But it does take support and that time to work together and be imaginative. And for them to have opportunities to see that the shift in control in the classroom that comes with letting students ask their own questions and play around with digital tools is also something that they see paying off in terms of student motivation. So um, I think something that I really took away from this work was realizing that I couldn't do all of this by myself. And so really mapping out kind of the skill sets that I thought would need to be developed um, and the kinds of experiences that I knew, knew students need to have in order to be able to connect to the work. I'm no miracle worker. And so once I realized that I really needed to bring in other people into my classroom, it became a little easier. Um, while it, it was definitely kind of a, a vulnerable move, <laughs> it was hard to be that vulnerable and, and feel like I didn't have you know, all of the answers, um, especially since I was being evaluated by administrators um, who didn't care who else was in my class. Um, so inviting a sociologist in to talk about the research process or inviting people who I knew had something to say about the issues that students were investigating or inviting in young people in my community who had gone through the YPART process before and them sharing kind of their ups and downs um, was really um, was really an amazing experience for me my last year or two of teaching and seeing that there are so many resources around me that I just was not tapping into. Um, so I would say that's it's really helpful. Uh, I think hearing everybody this conversation has really made me a little bit uh, philosophical and I was thinking about one of my favorite quotes from Martin Luther King Jr. which is that the moral arc of the universe is long but it bends towards justice. And I think that what all of us are talking about here is that we cannot separate education from our mission to try to make this world and our society a more just place. Uh, and I think all of us as teachers and researchers, if we try to think about what the purpose of education is, and if we want our students not only to go on to lead fulfilling personal lives, but also help our future leaders and try to make a public sphere that's a little bit more 
um, dialogic than it is right now. We know that when we watch the news, and like Ben was saying, we don't see a lot of cooperation and we don't see the kinds of best practices that we'd want from our leaders. Uh, if we want our students to then take on the mantle to do that themselves, then we need to think that we're teaching them not only a subject matter, we're teaching them uh, you know, to be prepared for civic life. And I think these are all possibilities. And that wherever teachers can find an entry point is where they should start from. Because the most powerful thing you could see from young people is when they have a sense that their learning and their identity is important for the collective, that, that none of this can get done in isolation, that we all need to work together. Uh, so I know that sounds a little hippie-ish, but I think it's important to think about, and that uh, luckily we have these resources that are online to help us st to start having that dialogue and making that happen. Uh, that is really hard to follow, so thanks, Nicole. Um, but I will just say that, um, and, and actually this is something that I have heard Ellen and Nicole talk a lot about, um, in particular, uh, one big takeaway for me is this notion of um, civic identity. And I think um, for those of us who are uh, engaged with youth and um, new media practices, I think we see the ways in which youth are developing um, online identities. Uh, and I think um, the, the, the exciting work in my mind um, with regard to civic engagement, uh, digital civics, um, is that wedding of um, online identity for youth and uh, their civic identity. Um, so there was a, a webinar series um, on Connected Learning TV earlier about the uh, media, activi media activism and participatory politics project. It was called uh, um, Storytelling and Digital Youth Civics. And, uh, and I think that is incredibly exciting work um, because it's, it's allowing youth to leverage um, the kinds of um, tools and learning that um, are relevant to them and in which they engage um, all the time anyway, um, whether in school or out, and the, the ability to carve uh, a civic identity for themselves um, uh, at the same time. So I think uh, that notion of identity, um, both civic and digital, uh, is the thing that I think is um, incredibly exciting about this work as we look to youth. Thanks, Paul. And thank you, everyone. I feel like we could have definitely kept talking for a while. Um, it's been a really interesting conversation. So by tomorrow, uh, we're going to have a full recording of this webinar and other curated content up on connectedlearning.tv that you can share with your networks. Um, and this wraps up our final webinar for this month-long series. That doesn't mean the conversations have to pause here. Uh, we're going to encourage everyone to keep en the energy going using the Twitter hashtag ConnectedLearning and get involved uh, in the Connected Learning Google Plus community. Um, and while the, the webinars are done, there's actually an unhangout next Tuesday um, that I encourage everybody who's watching this to join and be a part of the conversation. Um, so that's going to be next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific. 4 p.m. Eastern for Ben and I, that's 2 p.m. Mountain Time. I think we're the only people on Mountain Time. Um, and this is going to be a chance for you to talk one-on-one -on -one with the editors and contributors to the ebook. Visit connectedlearning.tv for more information about that. And again, thanks everyone. Have a great day.